Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen. Last Sunday, we had an opportunity to launch four new life groups, and uh, that was really, really encouraging. I wanted to share some other uh, news with you that is also really, really encouraging. Uh, You know that we have uh, what we call season of giving at the end of every year, and uh, I wanted to report to you what uh, the church has been able to do through season of giving in uh, 2023. But first, I wanted to show you uh, what we did in uh, By God's Grace in 2021. Let's see if we have that on the screen. 2021, coming out of COVID, that's what God uh, gave us to do. In 2022, uh, God uh, encouraged us. We gave a little more. And in last year, 2023, I want you to see what God's people did and what God did through his people. So we were able to help uh, churches uh, that we're, we're uh, helping support that are planting. We've been able to help missionaries. We've been able to help local partners through that offering. And I wanted to say thank you to you for your faithfulness. Now, as 2024 begins, we're looking at the two resolutions that God gives his people to live by the things that he wants for us and the things that he wants from us captured for us in Mark chapter 12. And uh, that call of God, those two commands are to love him and love people. And the way we've summarized that is to love Jesus and love people. And uh, so Jesus calls us to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we've said that of all the resolutions we could make in the new year, there there aren't any that are more important than these two. And so last week we focused on how it is that we are to love God. And we said that love for God actually begins with a knowledge about God that comes from his revelation given in his word, his revelation of himself, of who he is, what he's like, what he wants, what he's after. And and we've talked about how God gives us his word, describes himself to us in his word, and then the Holy Spirit takes that, applies that to our lives, and we go from knowing about God to knowing God personally. And as we come to know him personally, we come to love him deeply. As we know him, we love him. When you see who he is, your heart is stirred with love for him. And that's how we come to love God. And so we've said that as believers, if we're followers of Christ, then what life becomes for us is a matter of knowing more about him so that we might know him more deeply. And so then in turn, we might love him more. So we know about him from his word. We know him by personal experience and we love him more. And that's the process for, um, in, in brief, for loving God. But we come this morning to the second command of the two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. We're focusing on that second command today. The second of our best and and, uh, highest resolutions. 
Now, here's the reality. The love of God for people is one of the best known themes in all of the Bible. You know it, you've heard it, you've seen it on church signs. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Uh, I want you to see with me this morning that the expectation that God's people will love people is also present and is just as strong in the word. And I, I hope as you hear that, that uh, you, you feel and you think the way I do, uh, and that is, yes, I, I hear that, love your neighbor as yourself, yes, but the question becomes, how? The question becomes, how? It's so hard to love people. Have you noticed? King Frederick of Germany once said, the more I know about people, the more I love my dog. Even, even the people who are closest to us, our dearest friends and our family, they, they are incons uh, inconsistent. And sometimes they're inconsiderate and they are forgetful and sometimes they're unforgiving and they can be disagreeable and they can be spiteful and hateful and ungrateful. And those are the people in our family. Those are our dearest friends. What about everybody else? I'm telling you, it's hard to love people. And yet and still, here are the words of Jesus, repeating the words of, of, of his father from the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we wanna look for, we keep looking for the fine print and we can't find it. Jesus just says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. Now, few places is this expectation of love for others better explained to us in the New Testament than in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we're going to go this morning. Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48. Matthew chapter five, 43 to 48. Jesus says in one part of his message, these words, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Everybody loves those who love them. Everybody does that. That's easy. That, that's that, that's not, a, not, a, not a thing. And, and if, you, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Everybody greets their brothers. Everybody greets those who are like them. Everybody greets those who, watch, like them. Everybody does that. That's easy. Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want you to notice that here in this uh, portion of his sermon, Jesus speaks of three things. He speaks of the mandate of love, and he expands on what it means. He speaks of the motive of love that God's people are to have, and then he speaks of the measure of love. So we want to look today at the mandate the motive and the measure of love that Jesus unpacks 
for us here. Notice first the mandate in verses 43 to 44. He says, again, let me read this for you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus begins this part of his sermon addressing a misunderstanding of what God wants when it comes to love. And it was a, a misunderstanding that was common in his day. And I want to say it's also a misunderstanding that can be common among us if we're not careful. It's common because what it represents is the natural and reasonable human view of how people can be loved. The idea then, and still today, very common, is that neighbors can be loved, enemies must be hated. Neighbors can be loved, enemies must be hated. Now, the misunderstanding was supported with a reference to Leviticus 19.18. And there, the Old Testament says this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall uh, reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him, lest your anger make you sin. You shall not take vengeance. You shall not bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God says, I'm saying this to you as your God. This is what I expect. Relationships, this passage uh, says, should be free of hatred and in the place of resentment, there should be a love that's able and willing to talk things out. You should be able to talk things out. There should be a, a care uh, of, that you have for others that allows you to talk things out. This love for others should be like our care for ourselves. Now, now notice that while the command to love our neighbor is clear, there isn't permission actually here to hate our enemies. And it's not a fair interpretation of the passage. The only neighbors, if you think about it with me for a minute, the only neighbors really that the uh, Israelites had when Leviticus was given, when the word, that word of God was given, were the, the other Israelites. And so God's speaking to them about their relationship with each other. And he's very pointed in, in saying, don't hate your brother. He's very pointed in, don't hold, have vengeance toward the sons of your own people and those kinds of things. These were your neighbors. These were your neighbors. Now, that passage where God was speaking directly to his people about their relationships with those around him, that passage was taken and twisted to say, the only people that I really should love are people who are like me. The, the only people I really should love are people who are like me. And then we want to slip in and who like me. It's easy to, to love people who like you, isn't it? You want somebody to like you, like them. That's the way it works. That's the way of the world. And, and so that's the way it was kind of twisted. And Jesus is addressing that. So the command to love the neighbor is clear, but there's no permission to hate enemies. It, there's simply a reading into the passage that uh, uh, what, because hating other Israelites is forbidden, hating non-Israelites is okay. Wrong application. It's that same old uh, human attempt to put limits on love. The idea that there are some people, watch this, we should love. Family, close friends. Some people we don't have to love, but it'd probably be a good idea to love them. 
And then some people we can't love, and so we don't. You got somebody you can't love? You have somebody you can't love? Humanly, we get all this reasoning because the love called for here involves a couple of things. It involves an attitude of respect and an attitude of care for others. It also involves, and this is the, this is the really hard part, it also involves a commitment to act for the good of others. So you put this love together, what you've got is you've got respect and you've got care as an attitude and then you've got a commitment that comes out of that to act for their good. How many of you all are from the South? Raise your hands. Okay, oh my, okay. Let's try that one more time. How many of you are from the South? Okay. You see, here is the problem with, with uh, Southern Christianity for, for so long is we defined love as being nice. And, and the problem with nice is you can fake respect and you can fake care, but nice never makes a commitment to do good. Nice isn't love. And there are a lot of, of, of Christians in the South who, who basically said, I will love my family and I'll be nice to everybody else and that counts as love. That's not love. Love always comes with a commitment to act for the good of someone else. Now, here's the problem with what God's asking us for here. This, this love can be costly. This love can be time-consuming, and this love can be inconvenient. In fact, what I found, I, I won't speak for you, but I found that, that real love is always costly, always time-consuming, and it's just never convenient. Anybody else find that as well? You just, just a couple of you, good, you've practiced. You've been practicing. And that's especially true, and watch this, and this is a danger. This is especially true when you are busy and, and, and trying to meet your needs and the needs of your family. Have you noticed that when you're trying to meet your needs and, and you're trying to care for yourself, you're trying to love yourself, and you're trying to love your family, and you're committed to that, it, the margin you have for loving other people really shrinks. Have you ever noticed that? And so consequently, there are kind of hacks or workarounds for this command that we like to use. We like to reduce love's reach by redefining neighbor. We like to ask just, who is this neighbor that I'm supposed to love? Lord, if, if I can limit who a neighbor is, then I can get out of caring for a whole lot of people, especially those that I don't want to care for. Now, the best answer for that, of course, is Jesus' parable of the good, what? Samaritan, because he got that very same question, who is my neighbor? And he gave a brilliant answer. And if we had two hours for today's message, I would unpack that for you, but we don't. But if, you, if you've never seen his answer, it's a brilliant answer. It's a brilliant answer. Anyone who around you who has a need you can meet is your neighbor. See, you, you good, good, your neighbor. The other thing we like to do, if we can't reduce the definition of a neighbor, then we like to restrict uh, the extent of love, action. We, we like to reduce love's commitment. If love involves commitment and we can't shrink up who our neighbor is, then we wanna shrink up the commitment and say, well, love only will commit to so much. And so we like to ask, how far am I supposed to go with this love for others? 
If I can get a limit on what it costs or how often it costs us or when I have to do it, then I can also limit this neighbor love just, just a few acceptable ways that it can be shown. And surely all of this makes sense. You, you love your neighbors and you define them first as family who are like you. And then you add the people who like you and are like you. And, and then you define love as helping others as much as you think you can or as much as you think you should. And, and that's what a neighbor is. And that's what neighbor love is. As for enemies, those who don't like you, those who aren't like you, those who don't help you, but often try to harm you, at best, you ignore them. If you must, you despise them. The idea that they should be cared for and actively helped is, well, I don't know, how do we say this? Unnatural. Oh, let's just say it. It's ridiculous. This whole passage is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Love your enemies as yourselves. It's ridiculous. And so it was taught, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. You'll notice what Jesus does here. He, he adds, in order to expose, do more than just expose the error, he adds a command to make clear what God is really after, and it gets even worse. Are you ready? Here we go. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those who are gods, those who are Christ must show love for even those who hate and oppose and harm them. They're to treat enemies like friends and friends like they treat themselves. They must be so committed to the good of others that they pray for those who are also working to harm them. This love asks God to meet the needs of those who hate, to meet the needs of those who harm. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but that is one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. To sincerely get on your knees and ask God to do good and bless those who have harmed you or hurt you or who oppose you. And I want to let that hang just a little bit because I want you to feel that just a little bit because if you don't feel the struggle there and you don't see the challenge there, then I want to say to you that if we don't feel that challenge, if we don't understand it, I want to say something to you. I want to say that you and I will never really truly be able to grasp the cross. We'll never be able to fully understand or grasp why Jesus and the New Testament point to the cross as the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen. We can say that Jesus, according to the New Testament, he went to the cross for his enemies. He went to the cross for you and me because we made ourselves enemies with our sin and our selfishness. We opposed him. Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? Why are you opposing me? And there is a true sense in that every person outside of Christ opposes God, makes themselves an enemy of God. 
And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, he loved us going to a cross and he loved us there as like we were friends in order to make us friends. He put it this way in another place. He said, no greater love has any man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. Never the hypocrite on his cross. Do you remember what Jesus did? He asked the father, he prayed. He asked the father to help those who were torturing him and to help those who were crucifying him by giving them what they needed most. And what did they need most? He said, father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. They, they don't even begin to comprehend in their hatred what they're doing. And so Jesus, as he offers this instruction, he makes it clear that God's call to love others doesn't come with the normal limits we put on it. It doesn't come with the ability to, to uh, redefine neighbor. It doesn't come with the ability to reduce the action or reduce the commitment. It breaks the normal limits. Our attitude, if we're believers, toward all is to be one of respect and care, and our commitment to all is to act always for their good. We are called to care for all. We, we desire God's good for all, and we do good to all. That's the mantra, if you will, of every faithful follower of Christ. We care for all, we desire God's good for all, and we do good to all. That's what God asks for. Why? Now, why questions are always the best kinds of questions and are always acceptable in matters of faith. And God isn't afraid of our why questions. Notice in verse 45 how Jesus tells why we are to love this way as he gives us the motive of love. The reason Jesus gives for this love for neighbors is verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Now, what does that mean? It's vital to be sure we read this rightly. Look at that verse closely. Have you got it before you? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. It's really important to read this rightly. Don't read be as become. Don't read be as become. In other words, Jesus isn't saying we should love all kinds of people so that we become sons and daughters of our father in heaven and thus are saved. He says that God's people should love all people because essentially of who they are, sons and daughters of their father. In the Bible, being a son or daughter or a child of God means living, reflecting his character and his likeness in ways that others can see. So when believers love others, they are being who they truly are. They're being his children. Love is what God's children do. Why? Because love is part of who God is. When God's people love like this, neighbors and enemies alike, just as they love themselves, they look and they act like their father. They point to their father. This love without limits points to a God whose love has no limits. And that's why this is so very important. How does the father love people then? Look at verse 45. He says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The father in heaven provides what 
everyone needs, sun and rain, without discriminating between those who are evil and against him and those who are good, seeking to live for him, those who live unjustly, disobeying his will for life, and those who live justly and obeying his will for life. It's essential to remember that God's love always, always, always has a purpose behind it. And sometimes you will see the sun shining on, the, on, on those who are, who are enemies of God, and there are believers who have always wondered why. And sometimes the sun is shining on them, and sometimes the, the clouds are raining on you. And you wonder why. Well, there's, there's, another, there's another message there on the providence of God that we don't have time for. If we had three hours, we could add that one. But it's essential to remember that God's love always has a purpose at work behind it. The Apostle Peter writing in 2 Peter 3 to believers who were struggling with how God could love them and then let sin and sinful people who were harming them remain active in the world. Writing there, he reminds them not only of Jesus' promise to come back and finish their salvation with new lives and new bodies and defeat evil and judge the world, he also says to them this, but listen, listen, don't overlook this one fact, loved ones, as you're living and the sun is shining on those who are opposing you and opposing God. Don't overlook this one fact, loved ones, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but, and here is God's love in action, he is patient toward you. He's patient toward all humanity, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is a judgment time coming, but right now, the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming, the time between his, his death on the cross and his gospel work there, and the time when he comes finally and judges all of the nations, the time in between the time is a time when God's love is demonstrating great patience. Why? Because he has this desire for all people's ultimate good. And by repentance and faith in his son, the one who took our place and received the father's wrath for our sins, that we might be saved, might be forgiven, might be given a new life like Christ and might have eternal life. By that gift of his son, God was giving us a way out. By not sending him back quite yet, he's giving us an opportunity. Jesus' followers are to love because they are his and members of his family. The reasons they can love this way is that they themselves have been loved by him with a love without limits. One of the greatest breakthroughs any believer can have is to understand that God's love for you is a love without limits. Now you can see, I think, I hope, why it's so important, believer, for you always to be living in his love, learning and knowing more about him from his word so that you might know him more and in knowing him better, experience more of his love for you and find more love for him in the process. 
Here's the reality. You can only give away what you have. You can only give away what you have. If you have a growing sense of his extraordinary love for you, a love without the normal limits, if you revel in that love for you, if you're overflowing with that love for you, then you'll be able to grow in having the same extraordinary love for others. You can only give away what you have. And so, believer, your motive for love is your your master and and, uh, his love. He is your reward. He's the reason for the extraordinary love you can show to others that others can never truly show. You won't live with with ordinary love's limits. Finally, Jesus gives us the measure of love in verse 48. He says, you therefore, as he wraps all this up, must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here is how believers can know when their love for others is genuine or true. They are perfect in their love as the Father is in his. Now, I know that seems like the impossible, but wait, it's like we've gone from, okay, that's so hard to love people. Now you're saying I need to love them perfectly. So we've gone from hard to impossible. Don't you love that? This is one of what are called uh, one of Jesus' hard sayings. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. He said, now you've got to be perfect at it. What does that mean? Perfect as it's used here speaks to completion or wholeness. So track with me just for a minute. A more dynamic read of this verse would be this. When it comes to love, your, 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 your uh, love and care must be like his as it's given without regard to who is getting it, what care is needed, how much is needed, or when it's given. When it comes to love, your love and care and your action must be just like his as it is given, without limits. In this way, our love, our respect, our care, and our commitment to do others good is made whole and complete just as our heavenly Father's love is whole and complete. Practically speaking, then, Jesus calls his people to live intentionally, and and this is, I think, perhaps the, the key takeaway Practicing this kind of love for others, imitating their father so that more and more and more and more, their love becomes like his, available, generous, active, available, generous, active, available, generous, active, regardless of who it is. What is required when it's needed? Available, generous, active. So the love Christ's people show to others matters deeply, deeply to the Father. The world gets a picture of him when it sees us. When we identify with him and we're demonstrating that love that he had for us, To others, they get a picture of him. The love we show to others matters deeply to the Father. And so, loved ones, who we love and how we love and when we love and why we love, all of those things matter. And his desire is that our love be without the normal limits. Now, somebody here will be saying, yeah, but shouldn't love have limits? 
some kind of limits? Are you saying it should be just completely unlimited? No, I'm saying that your love should be like the Father's. Here's, here's how to understand that. The answer Jesus gives to that question, shouldn't love have some kind of limits? The answer Jesus gives us is both yes and no. It's yes in the sense that real love has innate limits because true love limits itself to what is good and always refuses to do anyone harm. And that includes letting them harm themselves. So there are some things true love will not do but yet at the same time, Jesus' answer is no, real love doesn't have limits when it comes to doing the good it can do. True love refuses to limit the good it does to those that it likes. I will not limit the good I do. I will not limit the good I do. Sometimes people will think that we're not loving them when we say no to them about this thing or that, but we know in the end it could harm them and so we say no. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? We don't need any codependency going on in the church or in the world. We've got enough of that. So love like the fathers knows limits, but here's the point. Real love knows no good limits. Real love knows no good limits. So if you're a follower of Jesus... I want to ask you the question. We've talked about how is the condition of your love for God. I want to ask you today, what is the condition of your love for people? Does your faith meet the challenge that Jesus lays down here? At Center Grove, we have a a, a basic strategy as a church to make disciples in order to change the world. And we do that by loving, growing, serving, and sharing. We love God in worship. We grow together in small groups. We serve the needs of others and we share the good news of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something with me when we look at these two of the greatest commands that uh, uh, God gives us, the two greatest resolutions. The first resolution fits the first two. We are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as a church, we love God in worship as a way of expressing our love for him. And we grow together in small groups as a way of learning more about him so that we might know him better, so that we might love him more. Do you understand? That's why we're constantly inviting you to worship and reminding you to come to worship. And we're constantly inviting you to find and plug into a small group because those are two of the critical ways you're able to maintain and keep strong a love relationship with God. When it comes to loving people, we, we emphasize serving the needs of others and sharing the gospel of Jesus. And we literally can't think of any better way to demonstrate love for people than to follow Jesus' command to, to love others with care and respect and to act on behalf of their good. It's, it, is, it is part of our service to others. So right now, right now, there are, there are men and women over in the kids' building who are giving up an hour or more of their time serving the needs of children. Somebody right now is rocking your little baby. Somebody right now is watching your four-year-old. Do do you know one hour last week we had 19 four-year-olds? That'll bless you. (laughs) What do you call that? 
Do you call that service? I'm asking a question. Do you call that service? 19 four-year-olds in one room? Do you call that service? Now we had, we had, we had four, four people in there, but it was, it was happening. It was happening. A lot of service, a lot of love happening on that day. A lot of deep love going on on that day. But that's why we invite you to serve. That, that's why we invite you to share. And uh, the, the measure of our love, the true measure of our love for others is, is right here. It is being willing, ready, and able to, to, to be uh, 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 ready to serve, uh, generous with your service, even if it brings about some sacrifice. So as a church, we want to cultivate that spirit of service and sharing. Because at the end of the day, we, we really can't say we love people if we don't have some place in our lives where we're not serving someone other than ourselves or our families. I mean, a, a follower of Christ really needs somebody with needs that they're meeting on a regular basis. And they have to be, they have to be kind of positioned that way. It's a way of practicing. It, it, it's a way of practicing service. You're never going to get good at loving people until you've, you've started practicing surrender, until you've started practicing the cost of doing something for somebody else who cannot do anything in return for you. Oh, 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 everybody, everybody loves the people who can love them in return. Jesus already made that point in verses 43 and 44. He's already made that point. But for a follower of Jesus, the measure is, am I serving people who cannot serve me back? Am I looking for and meeting needs and it costs me? It's inconvenient. Do I have that in my life? And this is more, 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 more than being really sweet to the lady who checks you out as you pull out of Atrium Baptist Health plus, plus, plus. Um, being really sweet to her and saying, have a nice day. I'm not, come on. Niceness is not love. Niceness is not love. Now, if you pull out your smartphone and, and scan your uh, QR code in the back of the, of the chair, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find on today's digital bulletin, you're going to find mission trips to North Carolina and mission trips to all over the world. And for some people in this room, a really good next step for you to show love for others is to get yourself on a plane and fly to Nova Scotia. to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Get on a plane and go with International Commission 
Give me their next place this year. One place, just one place. Malaysia. I couldn't remember. My mind's getting full. Go to Malaysia or go to Kinston, North Carolina. This year, this year, this year. You say, but it's not convenient. I say, exactly. But it'll cost me. I say, exactly. It'll be uncomfortable. I say, exactly. You say, it'll feel like love. And I say, exactly. You're getting it. You're getting it. In just a couple of weeks, our students are going to be doing a 336 weekend. It's a great opportunity, parents, for your child to invite another child to come and be with them. 336 is one of those weekends where we actually encourage and create a way for our kids to invite kids to get to know Jesus. So this is a great way for you to encourage your kids, not only get them signed up, but get them to thinking about who they could bring with them because one of the greatest ways you can love a person is to tell them the good news that there is a Savior who loves you, who died for you, who bore God's wrath for your sin, took your sin upon himself so that you could be forgiven, given eternal life and given a brand new life. And there's no better way to love people than that. We got evangelism training coming up in a couple of weeks. And really it's love training. I mean, you can't call it love training because people, you know, but it's evangelism training. It's really love training. This is how you love people. You learn how to share your faith. That's an opportunity for you. Scan that QR code. You can sign up. Scan that QR code. You can get more information. Scan that QR code. For some of you, the first step in really loving others is going to be to scan that QR code. Who knew technology could be so amazing? You'll notice in your chair, we have a challenge for you when it comes to loving, when it comes to serving. We want to challenge you, those of you who don't have a regular place of service, in 2024 to make a commitment to serve one hour and worship one hour. To serve one hour and worship one hour. For some of you, not this group, but in the next group, for this group, what it's gonna mean is to wait and have your lunch a little bit later. For the second group, it's gonna mean get up a little bit earlier. But we wanna challenge you. One of the simplest, easiest ways is for you to roll out of bed, make your way to church, and help with those four-year-olds, help with the sixth graders, help with the middle schoolers, serve on any number of teams where, where it might fit the gifting and, uh, that God's put on your life. Serve one, work one. Worship one, work one. And you'll be loving all day long. I'm calling on you. We're calling on you to do more than be nice, to love. Love is not a matter of just words because love involves commitment to do good for others. It, it also involves
takes a little bit of practice. At the end of the day, these are the two highest resolutions that a follower of Jesus can make. I am resolved. I will love Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And I am resolved that I will love people. People who are like me, people who are not like me, people who can do for me, people who can't do for me. I will love even people who harm me. I Available, I'll be generous. I'll be active. That's my resolution. And our job as a church is simply to help you get started and give you opportunities. So I'm asking, will you take the opportunity? I want to see more people go on mission trips this year than have ever gone before. Will you be one of them? I want to see our ministries filled with volunteers who are serving not because they have to, but because they, they get to, because they want to, because of the way Christ has served them. Will you be one of those? I'm asking you, will you? Got your card? Fill it out? Drop it off at next steps? Listen, 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 listen. You got your QR code? You don't have a smartphone? Go to next steps. We'll do it for you. That's only three of you. Let's make this year the year when more than ever before, Center Grove Church has loved Jesus and loved people. That's our goal. That's actually our theme. And that's our commitment to help you do both those things this year. So let's stand together all across the room. I want to invite our prayer team to come. I hope no one heard me say that loving people was easy or would suddenly become easy. In Christ, carrying a cross is not easy, but it is possible. And that person you find is so difficult to love in truth, in Christ, you can begin to love them, caring for them, respecting them. And when you have the opportunity doing good to them with whatever good you have, you can use. For some of you today, perhaps your prayer is, Lord God, help me to pray. Help me to love that person. You know their name. And that's, that's your biggest challenge right there. I want to invite you to come. The altar is open. Uh, we'll pray with you or you can pray on your own. But perhaps 
the greatest single hindrance to your spiritual health is your inability or your unwillingness. It's better to love someone do you know their name. For others, here's the reality. You've gotten so busy. You've gotten so pushed. You've gotten so driven that really all you're doing, and the reality is all you're doing is loving yourself and loving your family and trying to keep all four tires on the road. It's not healthy and it's not good for you and it's not good for the world. It's not good for your witness. And maybe you just need to come and say, Lord God, help me here. Help me here. Because my love for people has really shriveled. My care for people has really shriveled. I, I don't have a place where I'm caring for people. I, I invite you to come today. And Lord God, I commend your people to you and ask, Lord, that you would do the work only you can do by your Holy Spirit. I also pray this, Lord God, that with the portrayal of Jesus as the Savior of the world, the Savior of sinners, that those who are in this room who do not know him personally may know about him, but have not had an experience of his grace, have not had an experience of his great forgiveness, don't really know have not begun to know the height, depth, length, and breadth of his love for them. I pray that today there would be a time of repentance, of confession of sin, of turning away from it, and then of full surrender of all that they have and all that they are to you. I pray that they would be saved today. They would give their lives to Christ today. For Jesus' sake. Man, and if that's you, I invite you to come and see me. I'm right here to slip out from where you are, but you come as we respond to the call. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.